Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Scottish Clans podcast. I'm Clint Edwards, your host, and today I'm excited to share with you my journey that I went through after I finished my master's degree and some of the questions that I had after finishing my thesis, which had directly to do with the Scottish clans and how I came to certain conclusions that might be relevant for your family. Um, I just want to give you an update on some of the things I'm doing right now. I've got two books that I'm working on, which is kind of dumb. You should just read one and then finish it and then go on to the other one. But they're both have things they both have things in them that I'm excited to read about and to learn. And so I'm just whichever one I feel like picking up, that's the one I pick up and read. So the first one that I've got here is The Great Feud, The Campbells and the McDonalds by Oliver Thompson. And the other one is Kinship, Church, and Culture, Collected Essays and Studies by John W.M. Bannerman, uh, with an introduction by David Brune and Martin McGregor, two noted Scottish scholars. So, I, uh, I've actually, this, the second book that I mentioned will play directly into what I want to share with you today. Now, today's episode is called, Is Your Clan Really a Clan? So, uh, this is actually another one of those, like I had mentioned a while ago when I recorded the Cameron versus Macintosh feud episode. Really, I just read to you a blog post that I had written a while ago that for a blog that never really panned out, but I just read from that to you. And so I'm going to do something similar today, except for it's not about one specific clan, although I do mention specific clans. And I'll put those tags of which clans I mention in the in the show notes. And so what you're going to have today is I'm just going to read through the, some of the results of my research I did. And I'm going to start, it might cover some things that I have mentioned earlier or, or alluded to earlier. And so you'll hear some common things come up, but I'm going to push past that and actually share with you some of the conclusions that I came to. And so hopefully it'll be informative to you. And you'll know whether the clan that you connect with the most, and maybe for some of you there's several different clans, but you'll find out, is your clan really a Scottish clan? All right, so let me just, let me just start reading to you, and, and then I'll, when, we're, when I'm done with this and I've wrapped this up, I'd also like to make a quick note on my thoughts on wearing the kilt and who wears the kilt and what tartan they use and all that stuff. Okay, so here it goes. You have a Scottish last name, such as MacLeod or Armstrong, or have identified someone with a Scottish last name in your family tree. You would like to learn more about your Scottish heritage, so you do a Google search for Armstrong surname origin, or if you're slightly more acquainted with Scottish culture, Clan Armstrong. The result will be a Wikipedia article for the clan, followed by several sites that focus on Scottish culture and offer insights for seekers like yourself. Now, a brief pause in this reading. Those sources I mentioned in a previous episode, so if you haven't read that one, you can go back and listen to my thoughts on a lot of the most popular sources that people go to for learning about the Scottish clans. All right. They will all paint a similar picture because they all use the same few sources. You'll find a picture of the clan tartan, learn all about the successive quote-unquote chiefs, and find out what side they took in the War of the Three Kingdoms of the 17th century, or Jacobite rebellions of the 18th century. 
Wikipedia and sites that I had mentioned, I'll just refer to you to the previous episode on the, the sources, will be at the top of the list of a Google search for Scottish clans. While these sites are helpful for an introduction to the clans of Scotland, they often paint an inaccurate picture of the clans. Using these introductory sites, a person looking for basic knowledge of their Scottish heritage will find a similar representation for the Armstrongs as they will for the MacLeods, despite the fact that they didn't even speak the same language. I started off using these same sources to begin understanding my Scottish heritage. One of my favorite sites was electricscotland.com. It seemed to have more information than most other online sources, and for some clans it still does. However, during my work for a graduate degree, which my thesis was on, like I mentioned earlier, the Scottish clans, I started to look at this subject more critically. I paid more attention to sources. One thing I began to notice was the difference in the way that many of the major clans were presented. I believe this difference was unintentional. When portraying the Highland clans, many of these articles describe the history of a kindred with accounts of activity engaged in by a whole clan. This was usually warfare of some sort. In contrast, when describing the history of many of the Lowland clans, the account only gives the activities of a specific patriarchal line, father to son. Sometimes close relatives such as brothers or uncles are included in the history. This is hardly a description of a clan, as it is most commonly portrayed. To those who are looking closely, there appears to be little difference between the history of these Lowland clans and an aristocratic family from England. This observation prompted the question, are many of these lowland families merely jumping on the clan bandwagon, in reality resembling more closely their English counterparts, or are the histories most people read sorely lacking in details that depict an accurate picture? Is our conception of these lowland families the result of Victorian-era marketing, or will a deeper search reveal a kin-based society in some ways resembling that of the highlands? The search to answer these questions has been a revelatory experience. I feel like I have gained a better understanding of this colorful past. Rather than remove the romanticism of this colorful history, it has made me ever more interested. I have discovered riveting stories that are just begging to be told. I hope to pass on some of these things I have learned to those who want to take their understanding of their Scottish heritage to a deeper level. I hope you will continue on to other episodes in this podcast and share this journey with me. Feel free to email me with something you have a question on or a particular part of Scottish Clan history that you feel needs to be told. Let me take a quick break and make a correction there. Um, maybe here in the near future I'll have an email specifically for this that you can contact me through. In the meantime, like I've mentioned in previous episodes, you can continue this dialogue with me on Facebook at facebook.com slash clansofscotland. Or you can um, develop this dialogue with me a little bit more through the actual Podbean app, which I haven't talked a lot about, but you can actually go on there and you can listen to all the episodes through Podbean and um, leave comments and, and questions and things like that on through, through that app. So that's another form that I want to introduce to you. So I haven't quite got to the email thing yet. All right, let me, let me keep reading here. When I first started researching this issue of whether the reality of the Scottish clan was restricted to the highlands and borders or whether there were legitimate lowland clans, I came to a conclusion that my research has forced me to re-evaluate. 
My problem was my sources. I wasn't digging deep enough. I was relying on sources such as Wikipedia and other websites, like I mentioned in the previous episode. I also possess a copy of Collins Scottish Clan and Family Encyclopedia, which is a common source for most of the before-mentioned websites. Their clan histories document the major events of the most important members of the kindred without mention of events that make the kindred look like a clan. In these histories, these lowland families look similar to English aristocratic families. Let me give an example. Clan Kennedy and vers- or versus Mac- the Clan MacDonald of Slate. Let me just pause real quick on the way I pronounce the word MacDonald. I-, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but in Gaelic, MacDonald never has a D on the end. It's always something like D-O-M-H-N-A-L-L or N-A-I-L-L. I think the one's plural, but once again, my Gaelic is not complete. So, I'll often re, re uh, or often pronounce the name MacDonald as MacDonald without the D on the end. And I don't, yeah, I think that's completely something that they had to do to make it sound better in Latin. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so we're going to compare how the Clan Kennedy is presented versus the McDonald's of Slate. Despite its common association with Ireland, Kennedy was the name of a prominent family in southwest Scotland. A person of Kennedy descent who wanted to know more about his heritage might do a Google search for Kennedy family or Clan Kennedy. I tried doing this for the term Clan Kennedy. The first result was the Wikipedia article, which details the significant events of a very close group of relations, such as father and son, with an occasional brother thrown in. No mention is made of anything the Kennedys did as a group with a chief at their head, such as feuding. There is a feud mentioned between the Cassillis and Bargany branches without any details other than one casualty. A feud that only involves one casualty does not require a clan just bad feelings between distant cousins, and could be settled by a duel, not a battle between larger groups as seen in the Highlands. Compare this with the history of the McDonald's of Slade. An easy search on Wikipedia or Electric Scotland make plain the major feud they had with the MacLeods of Harris and Dunvegan, with whom they shared the Isle of Skye. Full battles were fought between these two kindreds. These events involved scores, sometimes hundreds of men, who acknowledged their respective chief as head of an extended kindred and rallied on the battlefield in support of him and the clan. For many lowland surnames, this type of support for their existence as a clan is hard to find, with the exception of the border kindreds. This type of research, among the first results of an internet search, can thus paint a picture that leaves the reader with the impression that the true clan system existed in the highlands and borders with other lowland families looking more like the English aristocratic families. However, as I have pushed beyond the low-hanging fruit of internet sources, I have found another picture which isn't as clear-cut. There have been a few scholarly sources that have been of great assistance in my search for the truth about Scottish society as it relates to clan structure. In Jenny Warmald's Court, Kirk, and Community, Scotland, 1470 to 1625, she describes kinship without any seeming regard to a Highland-Lowland line. She points out that kin based or that kin groups were especially easy to identify in the Lowlands by their adoption of a fixed surname, which apparently happened earlier in the Lowlands than it did in the Highlands. In describing how the heads of smaller kindreds, quote, 
bound themselves and their kinsmen and followers to the heads of greater kindreds, unquote. Her list of smaller kindreds puts highland groups, such as the Monroes, side by side with lowland groups, such as the Irvins of Drum. The examples of greater kindreds include those of Errol, Huntley, and Argyll, the first two being lowland and the last highland. Another source that has been helpful is Anna Groundwater's paper, Blood Feud, Kindred, and Government in Early Modern Scotland. Her research helps us see more clearly the nature of the clan society as it relates to the different regions of Scotland. She starts off her paper by relating how the English sought to make reparation to the Scots after the execution of Queen Mary Stuart. They approached the Scottish court on this matter. They were referred to the late Queen's kindred. Throughout Groundwater's paper, she emphasizes the fact that kindred provided a foundational element to Scottish society. Kindred provided this foundation in both the Highlands and Lowlands. An expression of this was to be found in the blood feud, which survived through, quote, throughout Scotland, not just in the Gallic West, unquote. Groundwater covers many examples of Lowland kindreds exhibiting traits that are generally assumed in a Highland clan. One group I have wondered about, as they operated and held territory on the border of Highlands and Lowlands, were the Ogilvies. Groundwater provides evidence of their, acknowledged, of their acknowledging a chief of the kindred who understood his role as leader of a broader circle than his immediate family. In 1545, Ogilvy, Ogilvy of Dunlugas was at odds with Thomas Baird over the lands of Sandlaw. In order to settle the dispute, Dunlugas turned to, quote, the head of his kin, unquote, as well as the Earl of Huntley for help in setting, settling the dispute. For the purposes of this research, how the dispute turned out is less important than the fact that Ogilvy of that ilk acted as head of a kindred broader than his own household. Groundwater points out that it is hard to find an established standard for how many degrees of kinship was required for unity as a clan. Rather, a common surname was more useful. Her two examples here are the Murrays and Hamiltons. In the case of the Murrays, they had branches of the clan in both Highlands and Lowlands, similar to the Stuarts or Sinclairs. We would expect their Highland members to adopt a clan structure as the Stuarts of Appen did. Yet in Groundwater's research, she finds that the common surname was more important than on which side of the Highland line a Murray found himself. When it came to the Hamiltons, she actually found a number, quote, 227 names contained in two lists of Hamilton kinsmen, unquote. Turning to Stephen Boardman's Ph.D. thesis, Politics and the Feud in Late Medieval Scotland, we find yet more evidence that the clan society extended farther than the highlands and borders. Returning back to my example with the Kennedys, Boardman refers to them as Clan Kennedy, a detail which Boardman adds which was not meant to support the fact that the Kennedys were a clan, but which does nevertheless, is a mention of King Robert III designating James Kennedy, son of Gilbert Kennedy, as, quote, chief of his clan or name, unquote. Not only did the broader Kennedy kindred have a chief, this position was contested by James's older half-brother, Gilbert, by whom he was eventually murdered. I'm not sure if anyone but myself has ever wondered if the Lowland clans were actually clans. 
I had to wonder as I noticed the difference in the way their stories read. And, and that's all I've actually got written on that blog post. That's kind of where I ran out. So I'd never really finished reading that. But you can see, and I hope I pre- presented enough evidence to you. At first, it looked to me like the, like the actual clans really only existed in the highlands and borders. And that was the impression that I got through just looking at the, uh, the first results of a Google, Im- uh, Google search on this subject. But as I've got into these more scholarly papers by these accomplished historians... I've actually seen that that kin-based culture or society really extends throughout all parts of Scotland. Now, here's another question that we might want to consider. How do, the, how do these clans in different regions of Scotland compare in contrast to each other? Now, one, one thing we might want to keep in mind is that any given clan develops its own personality. I'm a teacher. I, I have four hours throughout the day that I teach. And th- those group of, that group, each class develops its own personality as a class. And I can only think that that was true of these clans. So even two different Highland clans, maybe even some that have their territories pretty close to each other, may still yet d- develop their unique culture and personality as a clan. So I don't think it's helpful maybe to just assume that they all, there's this cookie cutter clan template and they all fall easily within that. But one thing I think would be interesting to study and that I haven't gone too deep into yet is a comparison and contrast between the different regions of Scotland. You know, we have the clans of the of the Western Highlands and Isles that receive a lot of attention, such as the Maclean's of Dewart and the uh, Mackenzie's. But what about the Forbes over in northeastern Scotland or the Guns and the Keiths up in the really, really far northeastern of, uh, northeast of Scotland? But what about also the... Um, and I've already mentioned the Border Clans. They, they really do look like a kin-based society at, at face value. Like right, right away they start looking like that. But what would be another another one? Maybe the Cunninghams of the Central Lowlands, clo- close to Glasgow. You know how how do these clans in these different areas, borders, n- Western Highlands and Isles, far Northern Highlands, Eastern Highlands, Northeastern Lowlands, Central Belt, you know Firth, Clyde, Line, and borders. How how do all these clans compare and contrast to each other? That would be a really interesting study if there were certain things within each region that were common and that set them a little bit apart from other people. But I think at the end of the day, we just need to uh, understand that these people in these different areas of Scotland, whether, they, whether they're Highlanders or Lowlanders, whether they spoke Gaelic or Scots, they operated within this, a broader kin-based culture. One more source I want to mention. I told you at the beginning of this, po- of this ed- episode that I'm working on reading John W.M. Bannerman's Kinship, Church, and Culture, and there's a, it's a collected essays and studies, and one of those collected essays is called The Scots Language and the Kinbase Society. This is really interesting, and he talks about the Gaelic language and culture that used to extend over most of Scotland was in some areas replaced by the Scots language. But even though the, the language shifted in these areas replacing Gaelic with Scots, because the 
kin-based culture continued to exist, they retained some of these some of these terms that are specific to the kin-based culture from Gaelic. So even within the Scots language, they're still using these Gaelic terms. And then and and that wasn't all of the words. Some of the words came from Latin, but they've been brought into Latin from Gaelic and then from Latin into Scots. So the Scots speaking people were not using the Gaelic word from it, they were using a Latin word for it, but it's still the same origin. Still have the same origin. So I thought that was a really helpful essay or study on the kin-based culture in areas of Scotland that are not Gaelic-speaking. Um, so I hope that was helpful for you. I was, you know, when I was first starting out this journey on this, I was prepared to say, hey, all these other people, sorry, you, your, your ancestors weren't really a clan. <laughs> and I know a lot of people would have got really mad at that because that's something a lot of people feel very passionate about. But you got to follow truth, whether your, you know, sentimentality acknowledges it or wants, feels it's comfortable or not. You just, it either was or it wasn't. And, and that's what I found so far. So I hope that was helpful for you. The last thing I want to get to before I wrap up this podcast is my thoughts on wearing the kilt. You know, historically, when we're back in the days where the, the clans were in, in their, you know, really in their prime they were at their, at their fullest influence within the Scottish culture. So I'm going back to before Culloden. The, the kilt was, and, and sorry for those of you who are not well-versed in Scottish history, Culloden was the final battle between, well, I, I was going to say the Highlanders versus the English, and it was who was on which side was so murky, but the, I'm not going to go into detail, I don't, I don't really have time to go into that, but after that battle, that was kind of the death knell of the Scottish clans, like after that, your chiefs could no longer call up men, like their own personal private army that was based on kinship, either real or perceived to the chief, that, that day was done. Now, and I've read some articles that it had started a long time before that, and that was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. But, so I'm referring to before that, that battle, that, which, which you might want to know is, occurred in 1746. It was the closing event of the, the 1745 Jacobite Rebellion, led by Charles Edward Stuart, or Bonnie Prince Charlie. All right, so... In the time period before that, the clans are rocking and rolling. The kilt was a Highland garment. My understanding is that most lowlanders would not be caught dead wearing something that would associate them with these barbarians, these uncouth savages to the north. And so what do you find? Contrast that with what you find now. Not only do you see the kilt proudly worn in parts of Scotland that it was not native to historically, but you see the kilt worn all over the world. In fact, we, you know, speaking as an American, as a, as a, as a citizen of the United States, um, or our brothers to the north and in Canada, a lot of us from Scottish uh, ancestry, you have New Zealanders and Australians and all over the world, maybe even over in, in India as well, where the 
the British Empire had pretty strong presence for a while. You see the kilt worn in all these places proudly by people who are happy to point out some Scots in their ancestry, whether it's their own surname or whether it's a different branch of their family tree, like like in my case. Um, you see the kilt all over, and and what do we think about that? It's not it's not historically accurate for a Johnston, which was a border clan, to wear full Highland dress. And I and I've been thinking about this. I'm just going to share my thoughts with this on you. <laughs> share my thoughts with you, not forcing them on you. So we see we see this happen. In my opinion, this is a good thing because here. We see in history the, the encroachment of the English culture and language just beating this, this, the Gallic culture back into the farthest, most remote reaches of the Highlands and Isles. And in the way I see this is that this is a flow in the other direction. So I just want you all to know that I am completely, not only comfortable with, but in encouraging of the kilt to be worn, worn in some of these other areas. I, I think in it, with some people, the kilt is looked at as a pan-Celtic identifier, cultural identifier. So other people of a Celtic background, like the Welsh or the Bretons or the Cornish, are also starting to wear, wear these as, like, hey, we're not Scottish, but we're Celts, and this is... So I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, I just like to see the culture going the, the other, the expansion of that culture going the other way. Now, here's the big question. So, my surname is Edwards, and we come from Ceredigion, Wales. Now, I looked this up, and there is a tartan for most of the the Welsh surnames that are that are common in Wales. So the and, and, and it, when it comes to that, there's tartans for the United States has its own tartan. Scotland as a whole has its own tartan. Irish surnames, I think, have some tartans. Districts within in these within England have tartans, and and I don't know. This there's a lot of people who who are in favor of wearing the kilt and have a and have either created or adopted their own tartan. And so this is all over. The big question I want to know is, should I get a a kilt with the Edwards tartan on it, even though historically there was never such a thing, you know. And when it comes to that, most of the the, uh, so the, the if you're from a Highland background where the kilt was worn, still that tartan probably doesn't go back any farther than the 1800s, where people just went nuts with this tartanry, and everybody's somehow connected to a Highland clan and. We're going to make kilts, and the, the weavers are making a killing, and I don't know. There's a lot of marketing going on back then, and that's where you have a lot of your quote-unquote clan tartans coming from. Now, what's more historically accurate is a district tartan, or a tartan that was common in the area where you were from. So it had less to do with the surname and more to do with the geographic origin of your family. And they would, which, anyway... So, there's another question. Do I get an Edwards Tartan kilt? Or, if I want to trace it back through my Scottish line, back to the McFarlands, do I get a Lennox Tartan kilt? Because that was the district that they were from. 
closely aligned with the Earls of Lennox. Anyway, just some thoughts, just some thoughts about the kilt, and I figured who better to share it with than people who deliberately pressed play on a podcast called Scottish Clans. That's all I've got for you today. Please go, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please please give me a review on there. Not just rate it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love the most stars that you can feel honest about clicking on there. But then give me some feedback. Write, write me a, a little note about how you, how you like it or don't like it or things that you wish you would see in the future or specific things that you like about it that you want to keep seeing. I'd love to, I'd love to hear your input. And that's on iTunes. Do the same thing on Spotify. Get on there and, and instead of subscribe there, you, you do the like, which I hope on the, going back to iTunes that you're subscribed to it as well and share it. Press the share button. I know you know people who, who would, who would enjoy this stuff. Um, on Spotify, click the like, the little heart symbol, and then once again, there's a share button on that and share it with somebody you know. Or you can go straight to the Podbean app, like I mentioned earlier, and you can you can uh, leave me a review on that. Or I, and, and there is a way on, on that that you can actually get involved by making comments and asking questions there. If you don't want to do it on the Podbean app and you don't have it and you don't want to get it, and you but you still have maybe some thoughts, some questions, some corrections, whatever you want to do, go to my Facebook page. It's titled Scottish Clans, but the actual address to it is facebook.com slash clans of Scotland. And spread the word. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Goodbye for now. <laughs>